This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Her name is Asita Kone, and we thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. Asita Kone is a leading expert in market penetration and PR within the travel and hospitality space. But this is just such an absolutely fascinating conversation. The The conversation actually came about in a really unusual way. I was interviewing a few weeks ago, uh, Frederick Dumoulin, who is a senior executive at Kahoo. And he's responsible for some amazing growth of, of the business over the last few years in the hospitality and mobility space. And to be honest, I was really impressed after speaking with him um, and I was really impressed with the direction of the company. And he said, look, if you think that's impressive, you need to speak to Asita Kone. And I was like, who's Asita Kone? And he said, Asita Kone is the person who has been a massive influence in his life, Frederick's life, and who has really inspired him to do some of the groundbreaking things that he's doing now in his life and his career. And I said, well, that sounds like a perfect person to have on the show. And and here we are. Um, I mean, Asita Kone just a fascinating background from Ivory Coast originally, grew up in the suburbs of France, fell in love with hospitality, moved to the UK, then moved on to the Middle East. So she's got this amazing sort of deep international perspective in the hospitality space, understands how business is done across four different continents and has a very unique perspective with which to look at the problems of poverty and development in developing countries, as well as having a really strong focus on marketing, brand development, sales, and new business. Just an absolutely fascinating person and a really inspiring, kind person as well to have on the show, who's doing some really important work when it comes to getting, reducing child poverty and and getting young people off the streets and into education and further education. So I'm not going to give this the big introduction. I'm just going to say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Asita Kone. My extra special guest this week is Asita Kone. She is a leading expert in marketing sales, market penetration, and PR with a robust background in tourism and the hospitality fields. She has lived and worked in France, the UAE, Abu Dhabi, and the UK, and now the Ivory Coast. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Asita Kone, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak to you. I um, was recently speaking to a friend of yours, Frederick Dumoulin, he was a guest on another another podcast I host, who is doing some amazing things in the hospitality industry. And he absolutely sang your praises and said that you were one of the reasons, you're one of the main inspirations in his life. And he couldn't speak highly enough about you and your background. So he said, we absolutely have to have you on the show. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to you now. Thank you for doing it. Well, uh, thank you. I mean, that kind of humbles me, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, let's see. <laughs> I'm sure it's all true. I'm sure it's all true. And and having spoken to you last week as well, I can I can definitely vouch for that. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. I mean, your your background and history is absolutely fascinating. Now you're doing a lot of work to give back, which we'll talk about in a, in a moment. Um, but you you were born in the Ivory Coast and went to school in France as a child. 
you lived in Europe and the Middle East. As a black female doing that, I'm sure there must have been a lot of challenges. We'll come to that in a moment. When you were growing up as a child in the Ivory Coast, were what were your expectations for the way that your life and your career would pan out? Wow, what a question. Um, I was just a child, Nathan, you know, <laughs> probably <laughs> worrying about having whatever could resemble a Barbie or whatever, because I was, I was born in a small village um, in the Ivory Coast. And um, all I remember is that we had, you know, playing field to play, a lot of friends, a lot of love, abundance around. You know, there was no such thing as this is your room, this is your parents, you know, everything belongs to everybody. So I suppose uh, at this time, I just, I just, I was just a kid and nothing else, you know, I didn't have to worry about being somebody bigger or, you know, older or whatever. Mm. One step at a time, let's put it this way. <laughs> mm. Mm. And as we said, as, as a child, you, you moved to to France, you mm. you lived in the in the suburbs of mm. Paris, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Tell us about your experience there, and ultimately, what attracted you to the hospitality industry? Okay, I think probably this is when actually we we moved back to France. I remember it was early in September. So in Europe, September is the beginning of of the winter to an extent, or autumn. And I got to a country where. I could see people were cold in their face, not only in their face, but also in the clothing they were wearing. Mm-hmm. You hadn't been to the UK yet. No, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we, we lived in a suburb, one of the most uh, unpopular suburbs of Paris, unfortunately. But at the time, it was just where we lived. But actually, for me, that was coming from, from Africa, where, um, as I said, there was no gate, playing field, abundance of everything, abundance of love, friends, you know, mm. people came and left. I didn't understand why we could, we, we were going into an apartment and locking the doors, you know, <laughs> just in a small box. So I think that kind of disturbed me a little bit at the beginning. And then the other thing was to have friends, but um, from a different background, because I was living in a specific area before with, um, commonality um, you know with people and then suddenly they can some you know in a different place different culture different language different food Mm. different everything and the capacity maybe to adapt just came from there to to just you know move on with uh, with life or play or whatever it was then anyway i studied there um primary school and then from there i um I went to university, studied a bit of uh, cold medical uh, medical studies that I didn't really like. So one day I came back home and I said, you know, I, I just want to get into tourism um, mm. about 20 years later, huh? 20, maybe 15 <laughs> years later. And then my mm. parents were like, okay, good for you, but we can't really pay for that. <laughs> okay, what <laughs> does this mean? Good luck right. with that. I'm like, okay, so got to find a means to sort of pay for my studies and do what I, you know, do what I like. So this is when I really start working in the hospitality field. I wanted to study tourism. That's, that was for sure. Mm. I don't know if it was the fact that I moved from a village to a city, from a city, seeing myself on the plane, moving to a completely different country. I don't know whether that triggered something on the plane, maybe seeing these beautiful arrows, this is, and so on. Sure. I don't know. But anyway, somehow, 
there was something about tourism that I really mm. like and engaging with people, the diversity of the culture you come to, to embrace in this field, maybe the travel aspect of it as well. And maybe innocently, you know, at the time, you know, you see people at the airport, the Air France, British Airways, everybody looked so perfect in their uh, in their uniform. Mm -hmm. It felt like, wow, mm -hmm. where are they coming from? You know, models. Sure. So then um, I, I studied tourism, work in a hotel to be able to pay for my studies for two, two, three years. And this is when I joined tourism and hospitality together. So I had this opportunity to learn on the job and to study at the same time and you know move move side by side this experience which was uh, which was really really rewarding yeah and I was in Paris uh, towards the end of 1990s don't want to say my age but yeah <laughs> <laughs> those of us that are good at maths can, uh, can, can, exactly. can work it out with the timeline so so fast forward fast forward a few years and you find yourself living in, and working in mm. the UK um even colder temperatures than from uh, from France and, and Paris I'm sure that was also a different shock to you tell us about that experience and then tell us how you went from there to living and working in the UAE because I I imagine that there are a number of challenges or at least a number of concerns that you maybe would have had being a woman and being a woman of color moving to the Middle East? Yeah, I mean, you know what? The UK was, was interesting because I went there initially for the English. I didn't speak, I didn't really speak. I, I, I spoke my French English uh, <laughs> when, I, when I actually uh, moved, to, moved to the UK. So I, I was, my plan was to stay there for a year, study and then come back home and then carry on my you know, relationship, my life and so on. But then it happened to be that I stayed there almost nine years. Because at the end, I realized after nine months that my English wasn't the English I wanted it to be. Yeah, I could express myself. I could hear people. I could understand people. But it wasn't what I wanted, you know, what I had set myself. Right. Um, and then at the same time, it was such a booming economy, you know. It was such an open uh, platform uh, in the sense that culturally, the mix of people you could interact with uh, from a different background, even the look, the look of people looked so different, but yet they were, mm. they were, they had a platform to sort of express their, you know, their genuineness, whether it was work, whether it was performance. And I think that's one thing in the UK that I really liked uh, a lot coming from France. Mm. That was something that I really liked. And I, I just felt comfortable in this environment um, and then studying and so on, learning even more and more and more. Uh, so yeah, and then after I graduated, as I was, I was actually working full time, studying part time for a number of years. After my graduation, I was like, you know what? It 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 was a great platform, but it was such, um, it was so demanding on me because it was almost seven years of learning English, uh, all the degrees, the masters, and so on, all doing that in the evening. I was just drained. Um, so in 2008, 2009, I, I say to myself, this is it. The, it's time for me to move somewhere else. I wanted this. I wanted sun. You know, I was born in the sun. Mm. There was a natural <laughs> call for me there to go back to the, <laughs> to go mm. back to the sun. Mm. And then the company I worked for then was actually Pegasus International. And they were looking after, they were doing sort of consultancy for hotels around the world, including Middle East hotels. So my colleagues, I was looking then 
after the Middle East moved um, and actually say to my boss then that I really wanted to take over this market because it felt like the size of the hotels, uh, the images of the hotels felt so different. I loved what I was doing, the market I was looking after, the Europe, the European market and so on. Mm. But there was something about this culture and the magnitude of things they're doing, the speed of things, they, uh, the speed that they actually deploy to do things that kind of attracted mm. me. And then I formulated that I really wanted to look after this market. And I was like, okay, um, great to see that. <laughs> We don't really mind. And I think John Seaton was somebody that I really, really, one of my big mentors. I don't know right. if he actually knows it. Somebody that I really, really, I can't say thank you enough. He right. looked at me and then he was like, okay, the challenge is you being a woman for the Middle East is, is probably not going to be an easy one, you know. Mm. Uh, I think what they just wanted to let me know is that it's going to be challenging yes. because I'm a woman. And on top of that, I happen to be from a, ethnic background um, that is not so probably spread out there in terms of the work we do right. and it may be more challenging for me for me to be accepted hmm. so anyway and I was like you know what I still want to do it you know <laughs> let's hmm. let's go for it and I had I have you know I've, I've seized the opportunity they've given me the opportunity to go and discover I uh, then then finally I moved actually I moved there I found a job there I moved to Abu Dhabi as you mentioned in the introduction and it was it was even more overwhelming from from so many I think I had no idea what I was going for the entire the mentality the size of country the country the magnitude of investment in project the speed mm. of project you know what they could deliver the number of people you work with, you find yourself working with 900 people for one hotel and you're like, hang on, nationality that I was made, that I was meeting that I didn't know. Amazing. But anyway, the whole experience from a personal point, a professional aspect of it, applying my expertise in, in an environment that was completely different was absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing for me. I, I did learn a lot on my, from myself, first of all, but also the entire environment. And then I decided to stay in the Middle East um, for, for a while. After, after a while, I actually moved to Dubai, where I look after the entire Gulf countries for a, for a different organization. That was Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, you name it. So these are even countries that were then much more sort of closed, if I can put it this way, than Dubai sure. was, you know. So again, uh, the question was like, "You're, you know, you're still black." And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> <laughs> haven't that, haven't changed. That hasn't changed." <laughs> so, and but I think most of the time for me, I never actually realized. Not saying that I wasn't aware that I was a woman or a black woman, but the the main thing for me was, what is it that you know? that you are bringing on the plate, you know, where right. I'm meeting people on a professional ground. This is, I've got a product, I've got a knowledge, you need that service. There's a platform for us to exchange something there. And that's right. what kind of matters to me. But then, you know, when you, when you actually navigate an environment where you have people, your difference will be noticed, especially when there's not so many of you in that kind mm -hmm. of area. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 
the, the way I look at it is that for me, yes, I'm different. That's fine. But there's so much we have in common mm. um, that, that really matters. And it's about focusing on that more than anything else. And maybe at the end of the day, from that childhood, if I come back to my childhood, I've always probably been so many, so many times different everywhere that to an extent, let's focus on what we have in common. Let's bring that together, whether it's skills at work, whether it's passion and so on, and let's build from there. Mm. I, I must say that throughout the 10 years, the only experience that I had with a client who said to me, oh, I don't want to really deal with you because I'm not comfortable. I think that what, what, it was, what he meant was that. He probably said, listen, you're a woman. I don't want to deal with you. Right. But I think what he, was, he meant was, I'm not comfortable you being a woman working, you know, what you're doing here in front of me and so on. I mean, selling your product. I don't, I don't buy from women. I only buy from male. But I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> but that's amazing though, over 10 years to only have that experience once. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily to say that it was a, you know, an overly aggressive or overly negative experience. I mean, I, I guess the way that you're taking it was, look, I'm not used to working with women. I'm not comfortable. And he expressed it in the best way possible but that's not the perception that most people have of um the experience that women will have in the middle east uh, overwhelmingly it seems as though your experience was was positive for me uh if it was to be done again i would i think people are always curious what what you don't know you tend to to fear it you tend to mm. probably block and just you know bring on what the way you may it may come across may not sounds good but then you the way you hear it is your own interpretation of you know what you hear, and that's the way I go about it. Uh, maybe it's a way of protecting myself, but this is the way I go about everything. Mm. You probably said it this way, but is there another way of putting it? And at the end of the day, if you build up you know relationship based on that, um, of course there will be rejection throughout life. Not everybody will accept you. Sure. Not everything will come, will come across the way you want to hear it, and so on. Um, but it's about what you learn about it. People don't know everything about you. And yeah, if you don't know, you, you, you have the platform, you are allowed to be afraid. And yeah, it could be actually fear. You're afraid to, you don't want to know much about this culture, about this person and so on. Uh, but yeah, for, for me, it's you do whatever you, you want with that and take it to the level you feel can, can be good for both of you. Absolutely love it. So, so now you've gone gone full circle. You're now you've now moved back to the Ivory Coast, where you're living and working, and you've been there now for four years. I actually, you're right. I left the Middle East five years ago, and then I joined an Ivory and um, an African based West African based company. I was based in Barcelona then for three years. Mm -hmm. uh, the company, the market was uh, West Africa, but the headquarter was in Barcelona, uh, where I was responsible for their marketing and PR. And that was an opportunity for me to sort of say I wanted to come back to Africa. And I had this um, company, then Mangalis Hotel Group, which mm -hmm. was, which is, um, which is um, a multi-sectoral company that was kind of building different type of hotel around Africa, raising found, uh, building four or five stars hotel and doing this with a kind of an Africanness into the hotel hospitality service that were going, they were going to offer. Hmm. So for me, it was a great platform to say, okay, 
somehow I know I want to go back to my native, my, my, my native environment. It would be great if it's something that I know how to do and learn about the culture. And that's one beautiful thing about hospitality is that you have, uh, you meet so many people from different countries. Mm. Uh, you work with people from different mentality, background and so on. Mm. Um, so again, you know, that was kind of, how to say that, the bridge for me to, to get back home, to understand the culture better. Now I'm an adult, I'm into sales, I'm into PR, but how do you do PR from Senegal to Cote d'Ivoire to Guinea, Conakry, to so many different, and then you've got different type of product. How do people react to that in a total different environment? This is no longer the Middle East, the bling bling of Dubai, you know? <laughs> sure, that's super fascinating. So so now you're you're living and working in Ivory Coast again, mm. how, and, and, and you're consulting, you've set up your own consultancy business where you're working with Indeed. startups, um, also established businesses, and you're working with the government as well. Tell us a little bit more about the clients that you, that you work with, the problems that they have, how you help them solve those problems. And then we'll talk a little bit about the giving back work that you're so passionate about a little bit later as well. Yeah, one, one element about Africa, and especially West Africa, is the spread of independent hotels. Um, there are a few big players that we know of, and then you've got many, 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 many small players that, uh, you know, that needs the, the, the expertise, the, uh, they want to expand their service to a certain level. So again, for me today, I work a lot with this type of hotels to guide them through their sales and marketing aspect, especially during this crisis, mm. the way the international market will, will react to the product, what they expect, so and how you position yourself to make sure you, you send across the right message. Mm. Um, so I'm helping a lot with that. I'm helping a lot with, uh, when, when I build the hotel, one thing is to build it as, as a building. Another thing is to build it as a product that's, that's going to fulfill the need of international travelers. Mm. So I share my experience uh, with that. I, uh, I learn from them, but I take them to what I know and what will serve them in the long term. Mm. Building also the capacity of the, the, the team, you know, um, the schooling system needs to be improved from, from certain, at least in certain field. Uh, and sometimes in our field, tourism, tourism, hospitality, you sometimes will really learn on the job. So it's about how do you get them exposed to the rifling from the beginning so that you don't spend, you can only go forward instead of keeping on repeating the same thing again. So sharing this expertise for me. It's something that's very important. Uh, I was privileged to to have people that kind of helped groom who I became today sure. uh, to be on platform where I learned a lot from my mistake, from other people' uh, skills and so on. And it's about you know giving this back. And uh, so that's really the the client in the hospitality field that I that I help. The oversight to it is uh, in my in in my firm is to also help the startup companies. And I've got different clients in different countries in West Africa, from a shoemaker to a bag maker to you name it, uh, that wants to sort of uh, expose their or enhance their, their, their selling platform beyond their uh, geographical areas. Right. And they, they need to have the verbiage to do that, the, 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 the language to attract people, the positioning and so on. 
So I share, we learn, I mean, I share my international experience with them and, you know, how you adjust your product's positioning strategy to the market you're going to get in. Your product may be great for that segment, but now if you want to go this way, these are the things you need to integrate in your philosophy um, to ensure that it gets embraced and, you know, the way it should be. Um, so that, that's, that's the other aspect of it. So it doesn't, I'm not limited to the hospitality field. I think mm. it's more about how do you integrate this marketing element today to every event for me, it started from a mark, from a hospitality tourism, but it does apply to so many products, the PR aspect of it, the branding aspect of it and so on. How do you, how do you connect with your client overall? Sure. Basically. Really interesting. So you, so you mentioned that a moment ago, the, the giving back aspect is, is a huge part of um, sort of what you're driven by today. You're now developing the international career prospects of young people in the West African Economic and Monetary Union by helping them engage with the right employers. The program is called TAI. Tell us a little bit more about the program. Oh, yeah. Um, it's completely, for me, it's totally different from from hospitality, but sure. it, it's, it's, like an it. area, it's an area where I just feel home from mm. every single aspect of it. Um, it. It's giving back, but it's also receiving a lot, learning a lot. Mm. TAI stands for Talent Africain à l'International, um, which is basically a program that's been developed by the equivalent to, a, I would say, a European Union, if I can put it this way. Uh, that we are piloting now, the government of four countries are piloting the Ivory Coast, Senegal, Benin, and the Burkina Faso, West Africa. It's a platform where we want to actually help youth get onto the right job from building a career, uh, learning with the right company. But it's also a platform where companies, small and medium sized companies, but also big companies that probably you know, one thing about Africa is the human capital of Africa is phenomenal. Mm. There's, you know, the majority of the population is below 20 and it's really where Africa has to tap in. Mm. Uh, and, and so about how do you actually capitalize on the scale of this youth that you have, the size of the market? I mean, I think I don't have to mention it. We hear it every single day, the sure. importance of the African market size. Uh, but the challenge we have today is that the intra-market uh, exchange and commercial exchange is still very limited. Um, so Talent Africa International is a platform where we help small and medium-sized companies to spread out beyond their ge- geographical borders by welcoming a youth in, the, in a specific environment helping them to understand the culture of the organization and then probably go back to their country. Say an Ivorian can have a two years immersion in a, in a specific company, uh, learn from their skill and go back to say Senegal and help develop the company there um, because he or she understand the culture of the company they, and they understand the geographical element or where they come from and how it is how they build the bridge for the organization to come back to penetrate the market and then expand in this market. So for us, two elements are important. How we actually capitalize on this human human capacity that we have in Africa, first thing. Mm-hmm. How do we 
actually uh, help the youth that are coming from school to make sure that they have the, their job, uh, a job waiting for them, the right job waiting for them. And the companies, how do we get them to uh, actually engage with this youth in a way that they see them, see them as an opportunity for tomorrow, for a bigger Africa? There's a lot of there's a lot of policies uh, and um, changes happening in the entire African market where we are building something close to the, the entire European market from a commercial uh, aspect of it called Zelka mm. is today what we are doing to build to get to that size uh, to that size of continent because it's not one country Africa is so you know it's more than 50 countries altogether that's right with thousands of of ethnic and, and regional variations within tell me about in the Ivory Coast only <laughs> we have over over 65 different ethnic uh, languages and how you engage Amazing. with all this, you know, uh, all these people, you know, all these areas and even the youth, when they acquire their education from home, how do you transfer that into a job and probably, you know, shape that in a way that it is seen as more an opportunity rather than building a, maybe a company based on the ethnicity, you know, where you come from, but more on the potential this ethnic have and how do you you know match that together to form something greater for a country for a nation yeah and and tell us more about the ivory coast specifically i mean we know that it's one of the most dynamic economies in africa right now it's it's its economy is growing at leaps and bounds it must be really rewarding and satisfying to be working in such a fast growing sort of dynamic economy it is phenomenal for me from different aspects of it not because i was born here and my parents are from here it is you mentioned it it's a country that went through a lot the last uh, two decades you know about beginning of, of 2000 it was a country that was shattered by war ethnic ethnic war unfortunately um but the great thing is to see how the capacity of this country to build up and to move on from there it is one of the fastest growing countries in Africa today, uh, even during that, this crisis. By the way, the Ivory Coast is the biggest producer of cocoa around the world, the chocolates we eat. <laughs> so we know that, yes, we come from a, from a, challenging, um, from a challenging history, but we, the leaders are now focusing on that's fine. It's done. We can't change the past, but it is how we move forward. And especially in those years when... Things are going so fast. I mean, from 2019 to 2021, they're talking mm. about a new normal. <laughs> so yeah, things sure. are going so fast. So how do you move the entire country vision? How do you get people detached from what happened from, you know, you're from this part of the country, I'm from this part of the country, and then you unite them, you unite them again to build a nation where everybody can express themselves. Mm. So economically speaking, that's been the focus. It is, it is a very strategic platform in the entire West African economy. And uh, a lot of international institutions are here. And the focus again is to, and the government, the state, the focus to say, the youth, how do we get the youth uh, be competitive in such a global world that are going so fast? Mm. Uh, I think we're all aware about the migrant, the migration of, of youth towards Europe and the unfortunate conditions they're putting themselves in. 
How do we prevent that from happening? What is it in our country that we need to do? How do do we all engage to make sure that how children see the values of our countries? You know, how do we package it so that they see that it's not about crossing the sea that is going to happen? You can also make it happen there. Um, And as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, of course, Europe is home and I love Europe. Um, I'm I'm one of these privileged persons that's got two homes, Africa and Europe. And it's just mm. fantastic. But when I when I get right. here, I'm just like, oh, my God, we still have so much to do, mm. you know. And the great thing is we that that much to do is happening in, in a time, in a space where technology is there, digital world is there. We don't need any more to go sure. to physically go to school to learn. You know, the Internet is there. You're based in the UK now. I'm, I'm in yeah. Abidjan, and we're having a conversation. You know and we're still that conversation, having, right? Exactly, a really um, and it's just making us realize that it's not about the physical move that we always need, but it's about getting together, building it together, correcting it together, the same way as the biggest nation in this world has done it. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, and what I'm hearing, what I'm sensing from your voice is that even though there's a lot to be done. There's still a lot of, it's more excitement that I hear in your voice at the opportunity than the challenge of, oh my God, there's so much to, to do. Um, there's there's really a huge opportunity for Ivory Coast and Africa, the African continent, which is really quite invigorating and exciting to really create a new normal. Yeah. It is, it is. I mean, I, you know, this crisis, I was, I was then based in Morocco, where I lived for two years just before moving back here again. I was, I was thinking it is maybe such a time for Africa. It is everything is changing anyway. Everything mm-hmm. is chaos at the moment. Everything <laughs> has stopped. So, whether you wake up and you just say, you know, I made it happen. I think let's let's just seize that opportunity. Let's express ourselves. Let's express our creativity. Let's, you know, everybody's got a platform now to express himself because nobody's no nobody knows what's going on. You yeah. know, uh, so yeah. so let's let's seize it. And so you're right. It's such a it's invigorating. It's encouraging. Uh, but it's all about how we market that, come back to marketing. It's all about how we package that. It's all about the narrative we have about it. It's all about how we carry our Africanness, as far as I'm concerned. You know, uh, there is, you know, of course, there are some areas where you feel like, mm, you know, we should we should not be there anymore. But I, as you rightly put, put it, I just see it as, wow, okay, we could change that. And we will change it in a way that's going to be even better because we are in a platform today where things are going much greater, faster. Mind you, I lived in Dubai for 10 years. And I remember I used to wake up Dubai or the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and say, well, that bridge wasn't there yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one thing about this nation that was a sand pit, excuse my expression, the way they transform it to the point that people, everybody wants, a majority of people wants to sort of land in Dubai to an extent. It has become a brand. So it's this leadership, this philosophy, uh, the narrative, and, you know, how you... People will say it's about money. For me, it's about leadership. For me, it's about vision. It's about believing in yourself. And it's about creating the platform to sort of build it. Absolutely love it. You've, You've painted a fascinating picture there. Thank you for that. Last question before we let you go. We spoke at the beginning of the interview around... I guess that, you know, a lot of what you do is about about giving back, but 
you told a, a really moving story where you um you were on the way to an airport and you saw a young boy who was selling tissues on the side of the road and he had only one leg um and he was in a really you know challenging situation and and something in you actually said actually this is not where this boy is supposed to be we need to create a, a different future for him and other children like him they need to be in school they need to be educated they need to be building the future of the country tell us a little bit more about that story that child and and what you're doing to help him specifically yeah you 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 know that had really literally happened unfortunately just uh, it happened last just a few days 72 hours ago as i was driving um I could see that young boy. To be honest with you, he must have been between 10 and 12 mm. on a crunch. And I was like, oh, okay, what is he doing here? Probably wearing a Manchester United T-shirt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm disappointed. He's not supporting my team. My team oh, is okay. I, I try hard. I was like, but okay, which team? <laughs> you forgive him. All right. Um, and he was... It was on the crunchy, so, you know, I was like, okay, maybe he's crossing the road or whatever. Then I realized that, no, he was actually standing there. On one hand, he has his um, his crutch, and the other one, he, ha- he had a pack of tissues. And what he was doing as the traffic was slowing down, he was actually selling the tissues to to the passengers, to the car passengers. And then I realized it was so hot. And then I was sitting in my car, I'm like, but this is not where he belonged. You know, we're in, in August, it's vacation. Um, I know my niece and nephews are playing or whatever, uh, they, whatever, you know, but I could see this child and I, I, like many people, you know, the people were giving and or, or buying from him. But you know what I appreciated about this, this young boy and many of them, unfortunately, and I apologize for saying that it's a sad story. What I like is they're not going to beg. They're actually trading. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Whatever they they're trading, to they, they give you something and you mm. give them a change, a smile, something in exchange, money, so they can go and have food. But as an adult today, I'm like, where does our responsibility lie You know, in that? It's not about saying the government's going to solve it all. No, they won't be able. But what can we do to help this child? And I'm like, what if we all became his second leg? His second hmm. leg so he could go to school. His second leg so he could play football. His second leg so he could run. He could do, you know, he could er- he could do everything but being on that road. That's all I wanted hmm. for him. So now I've set up uh, a fundraising sort of program because we want to get this boy, the second leg is missing. Sure. And September is coming in a couple of weeks. We want him to get back to school. We want him not to worry about after school coming to that street and selling again. I want him to focus on his, you know, studies. Yes. Become an adult, a responsible adult, you know. I don't know what his story is, you know. There's not only him. So there are so many of them that I see on the street every single day, unfortunately. And, you know, it, it pains me, sometimes I cry, but when I see them and the smile they give every time and they're there at 8 a.m., 7 a.m., and I'm telling you whether it rains, whether it's hot, they're doing wow. the job. And sometimes when I feel like 
I don't want to go today. And I'm like, right. what do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to go today? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but they are children and our responsibility as adults is to look after them, uh, is to give them the platform where they can become better, greater adults, uh, is to give up wherever we can give back. It could be, you know, it could be pens. We're going to be buying pens and uh, clothes for our children. We're going to get rid of stuff because our children has grown up, have grown up. Whatever we can give them so that they don't have to worry about going out there, working to get it. Mm. Um, this is very important for me and to many of people that have reacted to this information that I've spread. So we're going to be raising the fund. We're going to get him a leg. We definitely are. Absolutely love it. Well, find a way of getting the leg. I will find a way. (laughs) You know. Let us know how we can support. I'm definitely in and Agency Deal Masters are definitely in as well. Send us send us the link. And and tell us for for those listening, tell us how they can support, how they can if they want to get involved in not only helping this child get back on his feet literally and 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 metaphorically Mm. but how can they help you and the wider work that you're doing tell us more about where they can get in contact with you and 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 how they can how they can get involved okay i've got um i've got a whatsapp number which uh i don't know if can publicly uh, mentioned here uh maybe you're gonna put it on the link or uh, we will yes yeah and i've got my email we're gonna we're gonna also uh we're going to create, well, we are creating as we are speaking uh, a fundraising uh, a fundraising link because it's not about giving the money, but it's about seeing what happening with, what is happening with the money. And it's for all of us to be able to follow some of these children throughout mm. and then see what they're becoming, how we are, how this money is being used, uh, if it's clothes that they're sending us, if it's book that their children don't need anymore. So we're going to give, give everything so that you know, we can collect the stuff and get them shipped to back to the Ivory Coast. Uh, and then, you know, little by little, we're going to spread it out. It's going to be, I'm talking about the boys, but unfortunately, the girls are also in, into that. And they are not, uh, we, we want to help the girls because they are, unfortunately, maybe a little bit more fragile. You know, they have to rely on men at certain age. Uh, we want to avoid the prostitution. We, we want to help every where we can to give them an opportunity to say there are probably other ways to get there. You know, mm. uh, we want to tell our story as well. We want to share our story just to say, go and fight for it because it could happen a different way, but you also have to, to give in. But for that, we need to give them a platform where they can mm. hope, you know, where there is hope. So, you know, I'm inviting whomever is interested to joining, to join us mm. in this journey to help make a better future for these children. Absolutely love it. We will add your WhatsApp number, email address, and the donation link to the show notes when the episode is live. Right. So anyone can can get involved and support. No, this has been an absolutely invigorating, energizing. I'm trying to find other affirmation uh, other <laughs> other words to use to describe how how much of an impact it's, it's, had, it's had on me. But um, f- thank you for sharing your story and thank you for sharing uh, a, a part of the world that a lot of our listeners may not be necessarily aware, up to date about the recent history of and how the country and how the continent is changing. Um, so I think, you, you know, it's been really interesting to sort of see and hear 
your experiences across three continents and how you're bringing that to bear um, in the Ivory Coast right now. Asita Kone, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks, Nathan. If you enjoyed this conversation, then you head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 140 conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Sarah Spence is our head of content. Tyler Bala is our editor slash booker. Christoph Bwaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. Masters.